Well, let's bow once more uh, as we, through the power of the Spirit, prepare to receive uh, the Word of God this morning. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Uh, Father, what a beautiful thought uh, to think that those who uh, were once your enemies, those who once were dead in their trespasses and sins, have Christ uh, come into their lives, cleanse them from all unrighteousness, give them a righteousness not their own for all of eternity. To know that we will be able to stand in your presence to come before the throne, not because of works that we have done, not because of uh, rules we have obeyed, uh, not because of man at all, but because of Jesus Christ, your son. So that's why it's yet not I, but Christ in me. Uh, Father, we thank you for the salvation that is so precious to us that uh, your son uh, was able to redeem able to save, that he did finish what he came to do. Uh, And Father, so may that guide us this morning as we consider uh, this mystery uh, that that you, through the power of your Spirit, guided Paul to speak about, a mystery that was hidden for ages but was revealed through uh, the incarnation, through your Son taking on flesh and dwelling amongst us so that we would know the truth. And so, Father, guide our time this morning. May your spirit teach us. Uh, may this, these um, truths transform how we think, what we say, and what we do. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 3 uh, so that you can kind of see where we're going to go. Uh, we won't actually get to verses 1 to 7 until the very end in the application. Uh, because as we uh, looked at a couple weeks ago, uh, which we'll review in just a moment, and what we're going to look at today uh, is going to help us understand in detail what Paul uh, wrote in this uh, parenthesis, this, this pause before he goes into a prayer for spiritual strength, uh, realizing that uh, there uh, is salvation in one name only, and that is in Jesus Christ. And so just by way of review, just in case you weren't here, uh, just in case you're like me and you need to go over things multiple times, and even though you do the very best you possibly can, uh, so many details uh, get lost uh, through the the actions of uh, each and every day. And so a couple weeks ago, we took a look at the mystery uh, that Paul uh, has uh, spoken of here in Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, but we looked at mystery from a biblical sense because, uh, as you remember, uh, there are, are mysteries that we're used to thinking about. Uh, we have a, a definition of what mystery is, uh, and so we would better understand and not be confused uh, by what we know uh, by living in this world in this modern age, uh, that we would understand this from a biblical sense. And so you'll remember I shared with you three different things that help you understand mystery. Uh, the first was actually the Trinity itself, uh, which, you know, we try with our finite minds to understand, but yet it still really is a seeming paradox to us. We, we can't quite grasp it. You know, how can it be one God in three persons? How can there be a, a hierarchy and submission within the Godhead, yet every attribute uh, is 100%? 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's a, it's a mystery to us. Um, maybe we'll understand when we're in eternity, but maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just be in all of the fact that our God is that wonderful. Um, second, we took a look at the mystery of God's love, which, you know, again, our minds just cannot fully comprehend. We think we know what love is, uh, but we base that again through um, a sinful lens, through the, uh, what the love of the world is like, uh, which really isn't love at all. Uh, we begin to understand as the Spirit reveals to us as we study the Word of God what love is. Um, but, you know, again, uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I don't think until we stand in the presence of God, till we see our Savior's hands and feet, will we begin to understand the depth of that love. That God the Father would send His one and only Son to do what He did, to show love and grace and mercy. And then we took a look at uh, the mystery that we find uh, here in um, the New Testament, uh, a word that Paul actually in his letters uses 21 different times. Uh, We're not going to look at all 21 of them today, so don't worry. Uh, We're only going to look at 20 of them. (laughs) Um, Six times right here in the book of Ephesians, which we looked at last time. But by definition, so that you understand what this mystery is, what uh, the word um, uh, mysterion in Greek is, it is a hidden purpose or counsel, a secret will of God. Uh, that as we will find as we unfold this mystery of God this morning, uh, as we take a look at some of those different passages that Paul uses to give us a, a full definition of what this mystery entails, is something that was hidden, was part of God's Counsel, part of God's will that he revealed in Christ. So it's no longer a mystery. And for every believer here this morning, uh, it should be something that after we leave this place today, we'll be that much more in love with God, that much more uh, in need of seeing and understanding that we are truly blessed uh, to to be those that have uh, now have eyes to see the mystery. Uh, that we don't have to guess, that we know. Then I took the time um, because uh, as we take a look at the scriptures, sometimes it's uh, you know a good thing for us to understand that God has uh, revealed a lot to us scripturally. Um, you know, He is not a uh, an all secretive God that has uh, you know almost all things um, keeping from you. Um, God, in His wisdom and in His understanding and His knowledge. Uh, which we know is is infinite. He is all-knowing. Um, he actually, for our good, and based in his sovereignty, uh, has a, uh, a perceptive will which he shares with us. Uh, we find that will out right here. This is part of God's perceptive will for us. Um, it's revealed in the Old Testament law, uh, in God's attributes, in God's sovereignty, uh, and his sovereign plan of salvation. But then there's also uh, a, a will of God's that he ordains that nothing will keep from you know, uh, it coming to pass because it's called God's decretive will. Uh, and that decretive will is God's uh, will that he keeps to himself. Uh, and we don't like not knowing. Just admit it. You know, stop fighting it. Uh, but there's things that you're just not going to know. You know, actually, when we were talking with the teens on the last night, I mean, part of what was brought forth is that there was questions that they didn't know the answers to. 
And sometimes we just have to, to you know, exercise faith in God uh, to trust him, to remember who he is, to remember all of his attributes that he's revealed to us so that we, we don't have to worry about second-guessing God. We don't have to worry about the things that God does not tell us. We don't need to know everything. That's part of what makes God God and us those whom he has created. Uh, we looked at Deuteronomy 29, 29a, where it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Uh, and there's just things that God alone knows. Um, but we can see some of these things, you know, how, how did God create out of everything or create out of nothing everything? You know, I don't understand that. How is that possible? How did God eternally exist without there being everything that we see with our own eyes and things we can't see? You know, that's part of what God alone knows. Um, the incarnation itself, uh, declaring the end from the beginning and our ultimate glorification. You know, how is that all going to work? How do we, you know, uh, embrace that? Well, you know what? We just need to trust God. We need to see that he is more powerful, more all-knowing, uh, and has, uh, you know, as we said, uh, for our good, he's revealed to us what we need to know. And with that, we should be satisfied. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't dig deeper into, you know, the Word of God because we are, we're actually encouraged to do so. We're, we're encouraged to make the Word of God part of who we are, to, to define who we are, uh, to guide us in everyday life. Well, as we consider each of these uh, following mysteries that we're going to take a look at, because uh, we're going to actually look at um, seven here in the next few moments, uh, and they'll build upon one another, uh, we need to remember that God is declaring a spiritual truth for us to know. These are things that we should embrace, things that should inform our everyday life. Things that were once hidden, only known by God, but by his grace and his mercy, we know as believers in Jesus Christ. Our eyes have been opened to the truth. They're no longer a mystery to those who are God's children. Uh, and so we should rejoice in them. We should see them for what they are, God showing us more than what the rest of the world can even see. Uh, and that's what separates, you know, non-believers from believers, you know, uh, being given the gift of faith to be able to see spiritual things. And these are among those things this morning. So you can keep your finger in Ephesians 3 or you can just let it go. And, and we're going to be jumping around here. Um, we're going to be looking at six passages that Paul uses this word mysterion, but then we're going to also look at one in the book of Luke where Jesus Christ himself uses this word, uh, and it'll be familiar to you. Um, so let's begin by turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we want to start looking at verses 7 and 8, because we're going to take a look at this mystery of God uh, and the fact that it is based in the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 I'll begin reading in verse 7. It says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the first thing you need to understand about this mystery, this mysterion, uh, is that it is based in the wisdom of God. It doesn't have its origins in the ways of man. Uh, it, God does not consult man to know what this mystery should be or what it should look like or when it should be revealed. 
Uh, this is part of what God and God alone has the authority and the ability to do. Uh, and we know that God's wisdom is based in his holiness and his justice uh, and his righteousness, uh, his love, his mercy, all of his attributes coming together. And so that with all knowledge and with all holiness, God is able to, you know, rightly in all wisdom guide us in truth. Truth that before it was revealed in Christ was knowledge that, you know, was remained with God himself. There are pictures as we take a look at the Old Testament that were pointing toward the day when Christ would come because the Bible from beginning to end is about Christ and about his redemptive work since the fall. Uh, and so all of this, though, was done uh, in, by and through the wisdom of God. That's why it says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, not a wisdom of men, you know, not what the current cultural trend is in relation to who God is and who we are. Because if we look at our, our current culture, you know, and part of what we, we took a look at at VBS this past week is the fact that God did create us, that we are not a mistake, that we didn't just evolve, that we didn't just, you know, go from being, you know, uh, very simple to very complex by, you know, uh, evolution. It didn't happen that way because there is an almighty God who created all things. So this mystery is based in the wisdom of God. Second, uh, takes us to actually the book of Ephesians. So go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 9 and 10, and we took a look at these verses, um, I believe, last time. Um, but this you know, helps us to see that not only is this mystery based in the wisdom of God, but is a mystery of God's will in actually uniting all things in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. He says, "...making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ." So again, notice... Who's doing the setting forth? Whose will is it? Whose purpose is it? God's. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not the most intelligent person from, you know, all of time past or maybe someone yet coming. This is based in the eternal God. It's according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan, verse 10, for the fullness of time to do what? to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So what that tells us is, is that there is disunity, that there is not unity. Well, why is that the case? Well, because there is sin in the world. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And that sin separates us from the holy God of all. You know, and God knew that that sin would separate us apart from him taking the initiative because in our sinfulness, we are spiritually dead. We, we do not want to know God. Matter of fact, God is our enemy. We want nothing to do with God. And just look at the culture today. You know, people make a God of their own making. And, and they'll distort and, and you, know, uh, you know, change uh, focus as to what this God looks like. And, and now it's whatever what every individual wants to believe. Well, I believe God exists. Well, I believe that God doesn't exist. I'm God. You know, uh, God is male. God is female. You know, we, there's all kinds of things that man will do to distort this. But see, this purpose, which was set forth in one individual only, the only individual qualified 
For to be set in, which was God's Son, because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Jesus Christ is God. He is the only one who could affect and bring into uh, fruition this uniting of things in heaven and earth. Because through his death, burial, and resurrection, he paid the price for sin. So that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are once again united with God. Once aliens, once strangers, but now we're part of the household of God. So this mystery is based in the wisdom of God. Uh, This mystery of God's will is uh, that of uniting all things in Christ. And third, uh, it goes to the book of Romans, chapter 16. Because it is a mystery that would reveal obedience of faith through Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that Paul, you know, he, he, he doesn't, you know, withhold... Again, it is, it's God's word, so he's inspired by the Spirit himself to pen these things. But you, you're going to notice the repetition here. And this is important. Yeah, these letters did go to you know, different places, but you'll notice that they each are giving a different aspect or a, a more detailed definition for us to see what uh, actually took place in Christ. And this, in in Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 25, reveals that it is obedience of faith through Christ. It says there in verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for uh, for long ages, but has now been disclosed... And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What a declaration. What a capstone of the doctrine in the book of Romans for us to see that this secret which was kept for ages is realized in Jesus Christ. It is revealed in uh, obedience of faith, not in what I do, but what Christ does in and through me. See, Christ is the, is the center. He is the hub of the wheel. Without Christ, there's no salvation. Without Christ, there are no Christians. Without Christ, our eternity is sure. And that means separation from God forever. Fourth, takes us to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Because there's also a mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 25. So Christ is the uniter. Christ is the one uh, that, uh, is, uh, that gives us the ability to obey through faith and trust in him. It's Christ in you who is the hope of glory. Verse 25 says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So stop for a moment. That's you and me. Those who have trusted Christ as Savior are the saints he's referring to. It has been revealed to us so that we can see who Jesus Christ is. And that apart from him, 
There is no salvation. There is no redemption. There is no Savior. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why is Jesus the hope of glory? Because there's salvation in no other name. He is our hope, so that through faith and trust in him, I have hope of what is yet to come, that I will be in glory with God forever because of Jesus Christ. It's a day that will be beautiful, where your faith will be made sight, where you'll no longer have to worry about battling with a sinful flesh and its desires, those things that oftentimes are defined by our selfishness and are running away from God as opposed to being in his presence. A mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Fifth, um, just flip over one chapter to chapter 2 of Colossians. Because it's a mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, what Jesus has done, you know, in a beautiful way through his death, burial, and resurrection, has opened our spiritual eyes to understand everything that the world does not understand. The world, as they're seeking, you know, here, there, and everywhere to fulfill uh, the desires of the sinful flesh, thinking that that's going to give them what they need, that's going to fill them with their, their deepest desires, that if I just get this or that, that I will finally be at peace, that I will finally have, you know, fulfillment, that I'll, I'll know that uh, this is what I am here for, that I have purpose. But as you know, those are all dead ends. They're all empty. They never take them to where they need to go because they're trying to take the physical and superimpose it into the spiritual. See, only Jesus Christ can take us to that place to reach all the riches of full assurance. I know if I died in the next two seconds, okay, I didn't die, but if I did... (laughs) that I would be in eternity in glory with Jesus forever. See, there's a full assurance. So if you're here this morning and you're doubting or questioning, well, what, do, what would happen? Then you, you don't have your spiritual eyes. You don't see the power of Christ in you. You don't see the, the Holy Spirit doing that work of sealing you until the day of redemption. You know, do I know what death is like? No. Do I need to know what death is like? No. What I need to know, what I need to embrace is everything that Jesus shows me and, you know, 
uh, you know, provided for me when he walked this world to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery. What is God's mystery? Salvation in Christ alone. in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So everything that we need to know, everything that needs to be revealed to us, everything that we need to know in order to be qualified to be in the presence of God forever is known in Christ. That's why Christ came, so that God through the flesh could show us who he is. Even though that was veiled, the people that lived in that first century world saw miracles saw wonders of people that were demon-possessed being no longer demon-possessed and freed and were were able to to walk around and talk around just like normal people. To see people that were blind from birth be, you know, uh, able to see. To see just in a, a small segment the power of God over creation. And I mean small. Because God is, is capable of so much more. But he told us and he showed us what we needed to know. And the most important thing in all of that is that we need salvation. We needed a redeemer because we cannot save ourselves. Sixth goes to Luke chapter 8. And this is the one I told you that is outside of uh, Paul's letters. Um, But this is uh, Jesus actually speaking to uh, his disciples. And this is a mystery which culminates in the coming of God's kingdom. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 9. He says, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets, or mysterion, of the kingdom of God. But for others they are parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So even Jesus, as he's using this word mysterion to say that there are things that are part of God's hidden purpose that are now being revealed through me, that Jesus, even as he was communicating this truth, that the hard-hearted religious leaders that believed that, that what made them right with God was keeping all of the rules, uh, you know, keeping all of God's commandments, plus all of the rules that they, you know, insulated God's commandments with, because they believed in a works-based salvation. It wasn't a circumcision of the heart like we talked about. Well, we can take and fast-forward that today. So to you, it has been given to know the secrets or the mysterion of the kingdom of God, which is Christ in you, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And last, takes us to the book of Romans, chapter 11. It is a mystery which calls for a partial hardening of some for others to come in. This might be the most difficult to understand, or maybe even the last one, is we talk about you know, Jesus you know, speaking in parables so that some hearing won't hear and some seeing won't see. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. 
So God, even in his wisdom, as we know that this mystery is based in the wisdom of God first and foremost, that this is part of God's plan from the very beginning, that he was going to, through his son, save both Jew and Gentile. And if that meant that there was going to be a partial hardening that, you know, for a period of time so that, you know, me as a Gentile could trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, then what I say is thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Because I don't deserve it. So that's the mystery of God. And so there's one other thing I, I want us to take a look at, and that takes us to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, because this speaks to the mystery of godliness. It says there, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, which is Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So, this mystery of godliness, I want you to see before we, we just uh, you know, slightly unpack this verse, is that it's not being a good person doing good works that makes you godly. It's not a system of rules that makes you godly. And it is not something that man, in his infinite wisdom, and I put infinite in quotes, comes up with in order to appease the God of all, the God who is eternal. The clay saying to the potter, this is how things are. That's not what the mystery of godliness is. The mystery of godliness, and in Greek, the word godliness is eusebia, is defined as a holiness initiated in the life of the believer by Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. This is the mystery of godliness. This is how you're made right with God. It's not being good. It's not by following a system of rules. It's not something that man originates because it cannot come from man. It has to come from the just judge of all. It has to come from God. It is a holiness initiated in the life of the believer by Christ, which we just got done reading a bunch of verses, and through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to be born again. And this is ultimately realized in this beautiful verse. This is a verse you should commit to memory. Because it's in his son who took on flesh and dwelt among men. He was manifested in the flesh. Was vindicated by the Spirit. The vindication by the Spirit at his baptism, his resurrection, and his ascension. By angels. At his birth in the wilderness, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and after his resurrection. Through his proclamation, not only to the Jews, his chosen people, but also to the Gentiles. As people believed in the Savior, the Redeemer, and the Messiah, because he was believed on in the world. And finally, the one who was taken up into glory, the one who is coming again to bring all those who belong to him to himself to rule as the, the, uh, the just judge, the king of kings, the lord of lords forever. See, in John chapter 8, we see Jesus being the embodiment of this pure godliness because he is the son of God. Listen to what it says in verses 28 and 29. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, speaking 
about his crucifixion, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him because Jesus is the sinless son of God. He is God. And God can do nothing less than what his character is. And so God is holy, holy, holy. We sung it this morning. And as another aside, this is even something as we think about this mystery of faith, this mystery of godliness. Even as God set up the structure for the the New Testament church, it's expected in the leadership. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 9. Speaking of deacons, it says, they must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. So in other words, they shouldn't be going left or right or not knowing what or who salvation is, is, is in, if I can get the words out, or what you need to do to be saved. So the leaders in the church should know who Jesus is, should know what salvation is, and they should hold it with a clear conscience that, there's, that I can trust God no matter what. That he has revealed to us in his word what salvation is. That deacons should be mature, have great confidence in regard to saving faith in Christ alone. See, that's the, the, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of faith. So how should this inform our lives today? So this takes us back to Ephesians chapter 3, and I know I did the whole roundabout to get you back to Ephesians chapter 3. It took two weeks, but that's okay. Because you need to see the cohesiveness of Scripture. You need to see how this word is used to give us a full picture. So that brings us to chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. And now that you have everything that we've talked about over the last two sermons, you're going to understand verses 1 through 7. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, here's your definition, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So do you see how Paul you know, frames it as one who is a prisoner of Jesus Christ because he's been set free from sin to serve the living God. And, and realize this, did Paul have a special calling to communicate the gospel good news? Well, he was at a critical moment because he was going to be taking that message not only to Jews, but to Gentiles. But don't think that Paul is some superhuman Christian that, well, that's Paul, that's good for Paul, but, you know, that's not good for me. No, because that same stewardship has been given to us. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, 
See, we just sung it this morning. The reason why we do VBS is because, you know, we're not just gluttons for, you know, taking care of 100 kids, you know, for five days straight. You know, I've almost raised all my kids. Um, you know, no, I do this for the glory of God. I do this because others need to know. I do this because that story is real in my life, just like it was in Paul's. As we look back through the, the Bible in the lives of everyone who came, all those first century believers, those disciples, those apostles that died who were men and, uh, and women of integrity because they had faith in the one true God. They had faith in Jesus Christ. See, this message and why it transformed, you know, unlike any other religion of the world, is because it was divine in origin. Did you notice that it was by God's power that this revelation uh, that was made known to him was a revelation from God? Because salvation belongs to God. Because men are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are evil to the core. So man cannot dictate, cannot understand, cannot even begin to fathom what salvation is because they don't even know they need to be saved. Hey, I, I've got this. You know, I, I don't need to be saved. Saved from what? I know you've talked to people like that. But that doesn't change the truth that they are, they're, they're dead in their trespasses and sins on the wide path that leads to destruction and need to hear about the, the, the narrow way that is in, you know, in and through Christ alone. So my question to you this morning is what kind of steward are you going to be with this mysterion? Are you going to bury it deep down inside? You're going to bury it in the ground out of fear? Well, what are people going to think of me? Are they going to think that I'm, you know, crazy in the head, that, you know, that's a good thing for you to believe in, but it's not good for me? See, the thing is, is we haven't been given the authority or the privilege to, you know, make that decision. Because we are commanded by God to go. And that's not just the job of missionaries, by the way. That's not just the job of the pastor, by the way. We're all commanded because we are all ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We have all been saved because we all needed salvation. Or will you, and hopefully this is all of us after this morning, will you, by the working of God's power, just like Paul said, by the working of his power, not Paul's, God's, proclaim it so that our generation will know. You know, I, I met with one of the, the men of the church yesterday morning, and we, we talked about actually the discipline of integrity. We live in a day and age where there is no integrity. Our, our leaders in our country lie through their teeth and smile at the same time. People lie about, you know, um, taking advantage of their bosses by doing less work when they're not being watched. See, the thing is, we need to be people of integrity. We need to be that example. We need to, to you know, be those that are keepers of our word and stewards of the gospel message, stewards of that beautiful proclamation that in Christ alone, 
You can be freed from your bondage of sin. That your sin debt can be paid in full. That you can be made right with the holy, holy, holy creator of all. So that you can experience freedom from sin, forgiveness, reconciliation. So that you are now a son or daughter, joint heirs with Christ. They need to hear. They need to know. Because that is what changes people. Not programs, not money, not good intentions. Because none of those things, when we stand before God, are going to make any difference whatsoever. Because those are the things that are going to perish. Only Jesus can give you what you need. So be a good steward. And realize it's by God's power You know, I can share a bunch of facts, but unless it's the power of God going in and through me, no change is going to happen. The Spirit has to do the work. Remember, salvation belongs to God. So do your best to know what the Scriptures say. Know salvation inside and out. Know what you believe, and then share from the heart. And ask God to give you the power to say the right things and then let the Spirit work. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, we're thankful that salvation is of divine origin. That it is your power and your deliverance that qualifies us to be in your presence forever. We don't have to guess, we don't have to surmise, we don't have to rearrange or uh, repackage the gospel message because the truth of salvation in Christ alone has not changed. It was part of your plan before you even created man. It comes from the God who is faithful, the God who is eternal, the God who is holy. It does not need to change. Your gospel is what changes people's lives forever and all for your glory. So that one day as we stand around the throne, surrounded by millions and millions of believers from all generations from the beginning until the the end of time, that there won't be, well, this is what I did to get saved. What we'll see and what we'll all be saying together is that in Christ alone, my hope is found that he is our solid ground. He is our Savior, our Redeemer. So, Father, may that be us today. May we not shy away. May we not allow the culture to intimidate us. May we not try to uh, make the gospel something it's not, because salvation and a need of a Savior has not changed, even going all the way back to the garden. So, Father, help us to be good ambassadors. Help us to to share and, and shine the light of Jesus Uh, to our families, to our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, to our fellow workers, to everyone we come in contact with because there are divine appointments everywhere, every day. And so, Father, we ask that you would use us in that way for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.